Let us pray, and this is a a prayer from Christian Aid Week 1958. O Holy Spirit of love, quicken our imaginations that we may feel more deeply for the needs of others as we put ourselves in their place. Give us hearts of self-forgetting compassion which will move us to give from that which you have given us and to be good neighbors to those who are both near and far for the sake of him who taught us that it is more blessed to give than receive. Even Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, we really have made a feature of Christian Aid Week this morning, and I want to continue to do that because it was the churches who founded Christian Aid. It all began in 1945, actually, with an initiative to support refugees, those who lost their homes and possessions after the Second World War. And then in 1957, just 12 years later, after it had all started, Christian Aid Week was launched. It was an endeavor to help fund that ongoing support for refugees and the wider work of the charity. So for 60 years, Christian Aid Week has given Christians the chance to be part of the story of others, part of a story of transformation. And the charity has been working with refugees for decades, and it's the theme, particularly this year. And sadly, that work has to continue today. And it won't stop until the need doesn't exist anymore. While people are excluded rather than embraced, the work of Christian aid will be necessary. So in February 2017, the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, that's the UNHCR, published its 2016 Mid-Year Trends Report. And I want to read from the report. It gave a fresh insight into the global humanitarian crisis. It revealed that there are 65.3 million refugees globally. That's people forcibly displaced from their homes across the world. 65.3 million. That's about the same number of people that live in the United Kingdom. Just to give you some idea of the numbers that we're talking about. And in 2015, 24 people were displaced every minute in our world. Now, it's true that the developing countries have been struggling to cope, and many of them have been the first on hand. And 80% of all refugees are living in those developing countries that actually don't have the resources or the ability to cope. So Christian Aid is calling today on world leaders to do more, to be committed to long-term work alongside those countries who are hosting refugees to find ways of coming alongside them, to assist communities who are hosting large numbers of displaced people. And Christian Aid is also urging states to introduce 
and increase and strengthen those existing safe routes, as they call them, for refugees, such as humanitarian visas or family reunification and relocation schemes. Christian aid is at the heart of this work. These refugees have no home until they find permanent sanctuary. They live, if you like, in limbo. And the sharp question for us today is, should they be excluded or embraced? Now, Christian aid reminds us that humanity is interconnected. Yet the scale of human struggle around the world often tempts us to look away. Well, I'm sure you've been like that when you've looked at the uh, television, let's be honest. You see how vast the problem is, and we can't bear to look. It's so awful. And the temptation is to stay within our own bubbles and to allow the overload to turn to apathy and thinking that the little bit that we can do is just a drop in the ocean. It's not going to make any difference. That we're washed away by a tidal wave of need. The challenge to us, to you and to me, is do we look away and exclude or do we take a good look and decide to embrace Now, in our Bible readings today, you may have recognized there's a theme in all the readings, and that's of stones or rock. Think of the first one, Psalm 31, which talks about the image of a stone as a refuge. Uh, Our God is a fortress. God is the safe place for his people to turn to when they're in need, the one to whom people can turn when they're struggling. And throughout the psalm that we had, those verses that we had uh, read, the distress of the psalmist is, di- is palpable in the words. Take a look at the rest of the psalm when you go home. But so is the certainty that God will be there. And as Christians, we believe that God is with those who are suffering, is with the poor of the earth, just as he is with you and I. Peter spoke about living stones, about being a building block or a stumbling block. In 1 Peter, Jesus is likened to a living stone, a cornerstone for believers to build upon. The foundation is on solid ground of his compassion and love. And God's people today are called to be living stones too, built into a spiritual house, a community of sanctuary. And surely that house should offer a radical welcome to all. We know here we work at that. We want this to be a welcoming community. But what does it really mean to be a welcoming community? Do we welcome those who God loves? So when they turn to God for help, their refuge and their strength, they find that refuge and strength in his people, the church. For we are his hands and his feet. And in Paul Peter, there's also that warning that by not following Jesus' example, his disciples can be stumbling blocks rather than a foundation. Just think for a moment how possibly 
our inaction at times, or our apathy, or our them and us rhetoric, affects those who want to hit or need to hear our voice. They need support. They need welcome. How can we change the negative stories of the world that we so often hear into something positive? When we hear on the media and when we hear in political debate all sorts of things that are said about refugees, are we listening to what God might be saying to us in the midst of it all? It's very easy to take the easy solutions or to protect ourselves rather than thinking about how we might be called to help others. And then in our Acts reading, there was stones as a weapon. If you think about the stoning of Stephen, the stones are thrown to hurl, uh, hurt and to kill, to shut down and to shut up. You may think that you would never stone anyone. How barbaric that they did such a thing. But I wonder whether sometimes we do throw stones through our negative words or our actions. How sometimes we unthinkingly can undermine God's welcome to those who need it. Stoning was a prime example of inhumanity towards another person. And here, a person of faith was standing up for his faith in the power of the Holy Spirit. And someone took the decision that we should stop this. That person may well have known Stephen, but I wonder whether the others really knew him. Or whether they just accepted that this was wrong. And from a distance, they threw their stones. I wonder whether it would have been different if they'd had a coffee with him that morning. Not that they probably had coffee in those days, but you know what I mean. Whether they actually knew Stephen for who he was. Yes, it might not have made a difference to some, but actually when you get to know a person, it's very difficult. It's very difficult when they seem to have integrity to be able to abuse them. Stephen's story gives us an example of how perhaps we should follow Jesus. Because he, even though he was being abused, he extended forgiveness. I wonder whether we can be a forgiving people. Or will we cover up our ears to the needs of a suffering world? So here's that question again I want to put to you. And one I think we need to grapple with. It's not for me to tell you how to answer it. But in the scriptures, I would suggest the question that we need to wrestle with is, are we really hearing the cries of the most vulnerable? And are those people who are crying out excluded or embraced? It's true that working with refugees and also speaking the language of love and welcome is a challenge in a world of fear, in a world where frequently doors are closed. But it's a challenge that Christian aid wants to put to us because it feels, and it feels that we must, accept the challenge. 
and be invited to share in the confronting of the issues and tackling them too. All of us, I'm sure, were shocked by the image of a three-year-old Kurdish boy when his body was carried ashore by a man on the 20th of, on September 2015. His name was Alan Kurdi. I'm sure that image is in your mind as I speak now. Drowned in the Mediterranean Sea as he and his family were Syrian refugees trying to reach Europe. And photographs of his body were taken by a Turkish journalist and they soon made the headlines globally. Why did they make the headlines globally? Because suddenly an impersonal issue that was out there was confronted to us all. It was brought into our living rooms in the form of a dead child. And the world cries out, something is wrong. But it's easy not to be touched by that unless we actually see it. Because... We can say about the issue, it's out there, something's wrong, they've got to sort out their own problems, it's out there. But when it's presented before you, we actually feel involved. And that uh, boy's family were trying to reach Canada. And in his death and the wider refugee crisis, immediately it became an issue for the 2015 Canadian federal election. And they had to consider, and it's made a real difference to Canada, should people like this be excluded or should they be embraced? As I say, it's easy to form opinions about people we don't know. But just think if we were in that situation. How would we want people to treat us? Imagine, this is my brain just kind of, imagine that there was a virus, a waterborne virus that was discovered in this country. It was only going to affect people if they drank of the waters, but the issue became so serious that we were all told in the United Kingdom we had to leave the territory of the United Kingdom in case we became contaminated. It's all right to drink bottled water, and there was plenty enough to get us off of these shores, but we had to leave, and we had to leave now because of the virus. How would we want the people of the world to receive us if we were told to leave everything and just go? I think we begin then to imagine how perhaps we should be thinking towards others who are in the most horrendous situations of the world. We need to be aware that we can easily become thick-skinned to protect our environment without thinking or trying to stand in the shoes of another person. Let me tell you about uh, Nejibar and Noor. They lived in Afghanistan with their five children. Noor worked as a teacher which put him in danger. And when the Taliban threatened to kill those who worked for the government, his threat was carried out, or this threat was carried out on one of the members of his family, whose eyes were gouged out before he was killed. He was faced with, they faced threats and bombs, and they had 
to leave their home because of war. They chose to try and find something better to survive. Noor said, it was like suicide for us, but we took the decision that it was better to die here than to die there from war. Having managed the difficult and dangerous journey to Greece, they're now living in a tent in a refugee camp. They expected to be there for 10 days, but they've been there for six months, and there's no end in sight. They have no protection against the wind and rain. There's no school for their children, and they have no idea what will happen to them now. It's harder, isn't it, when you hear the story of a person rather than just thinking of people in a refugee camp. Sudai, their youngest child, is five, but looks much younger. He hasn't been growing as he should. His abdomen is swollen, and they don't know what's wrong with him. The only doctor in the refugee camp is Greek, and because of the language barrier, they haven't been able to explain that Sudai is much older than he looks. Despite having so little, they've taken in two brothers themselves from Afghanistan, uh, Farai Doon and Farzad, who were traveling alone because they didn't want them to be alone, so they've taken them on board too. The brothers don't know where their parents are and even if they're alive, but they've found refuge with this family who are in need themselves. Nejabar says, we still have some hope that one day we'll get out of here and we have hope for our children's future. Our wish is to get out of this situation and to be able to go further. We only want a peaceful life. We want our children to have an education to go to school. The most important thing is for our children. When Christian Aid Week was first launched... The refugee crisis following the Second World War was still ongoing. But the crisis today is every bit as challenging as it was then. The churches said we have to do something. And that prayer from 1958 that I read is just as relevant today as it was then. And they're just encouraging us today to say what can we do? to make a difference. We had that story, didn't we, of Theodore Davidich, who was just so grateful that his life had been given back to him through other Christians. He's now wanting to help those in need. And he said those words, I promise that I will do my best as long as I live, and I'm still doing it. He's 91. My challenge to you today is what can we do to make a difference? And the reason I've spent a long time on this today is that there is a petition. And it's there if you wish to sign it. You might not want to. But I, as one of your ministers, want to encourage you to think about it. The petition from Christian Aid says, Dear Prime Minister, this Christian Aid Week, we've been listening to the stories of people forced from their homes. These stories remind us of our common humanity, often denied by violence and inhumane policies, and even the words that we use. 
We are bound together, you and I, and all those seeking sanctuary, with all those seeking sanctuary. Please join us in overcoming division and uphold our proud tradition as a nation that stands up for those in desperate need, wherever they are in the world. If you feel that that statement's something that you can identify with, I encourage you before you go home to sign the petition. It's one thing that we can do, and we do know that they make a difference. Be like Theodore. Be thankful for what you have in this life. But remember those who don't have what we have. Chica has shown that she's listening to God, and we want to help her to think through her call. What's God calling you to do? It might be to write a fact check. It might be to pray. It might be to give of your time and energy. I don't know what it is. All I know is the question is, excluded or embraced? Amen.